When my sister and I were young, we would play a game riding in the back seat of the family car. When we entered a tunnel, we would take a deep breath and see if either of us could hold it all the way until the very end. Anyone else ever try this when they were kids or, or still? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> they were a little bit shorter than some of the tunnels here in Minnesota. Yeah. We would sit there side by side turning blue until one of us finally caved in. And if we weren't already out of the tunnel by that point, we'd gasp another gulp of air and try to hold it till the end. I've been thinking about breathing this past week because I just read an article about a group of divers who can hold their breath for an extraordinarily long time. This article was focused on a place called Jeju Island, a remote and sparsely populated province of Korea, south of the mainland. For centuries, people who have lived here have been harvesting the shellfish and the octopus that are plentiful in the area, but they're not easy to get to. Catching them requires diving and often going up to 20 meters down. So the divers on Jeju are all women. It just so happens. The men in this culture generally stay home and watch the kids. And through generations, they have developed techniques for swimming down through this frigid water and catching the food for their community. As you might imagine, a lot of it comes down to breathing. The divers have to hold their breath for minutes at a time. So of course, they take a great big breath before they go under the water. But what was surprising and fascinating to me in this article was the way that they exhale is just as important as the way that they inhale. Young women who are learning to dive like this are taught how to tell when it is time for them to go back up, when they have reached their limit, and they're also taught that the first thing you do when you get back to the surface is not gulp down a whole bunch more air, but blow out the carbon dioxide that's built up in your lungs. The divers come up with loud, forceful exhales that apparently sound like shouts and echo around the bays where they're fishing. There is actually a local word for that very particular sound, and it is the lead diver's job to know the sound of each person's exhale in the diving team. It's how they know that everybody's back on the surface and everybody is okay. So I've been thinking about that article and that image this week because I think many of us, at least, give a whole lot more attention to breathing in than to breathing out. We have full lives, full lists of things we need to accomplish, full lists of obligations and hobbies and assignments and aspirations. So we take in great big gulps of air and we have at it. We work and we study and we exercise and we multitask and we socialize and we try to fit it all in. And when the next day comes, we gulp down some more air and we go and do it all over again. We dive back down into the depths again and again and again, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in. But you can't only inhale. The divers know that. Breathing is a rhythm, air moving in and out in and out. We need time to exhale as well. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called Sabbath. The lectionary nerds out there, and I know they are out there, may have been a bit surprised to see Genesis 1 as our Old Testament reading today. This is not a typical first Sunday of Lent text. 
And in fact, throughout the weeks that are coming up, we are going to be hearing texts that are often not read in this season. The worship committee decided that this year we are going to focus on this very specific theme for Lent, and to help us focus, we'll need a different set of readings this time. Throughout the weeks ahead, we are going to be thinking about and hopefully practicing Sabbath. We landed on this theme because it seemed to resonate deeply with lots of us who struggle to practice real rest in our lives. It's a theme that's far bigger than one worship service or one sermon or even one book. There are volumes and volumes out there about this topic and the rich gift that it is for our lives. And really, it's not so crazy to focus on a faith practice like this through the weeks leading up to Easter. Lent is, of course, a time when Christians through the centuries have returned to spiritual disciplines, prayer and fasting and almsgiving and confession. This year, we are taking a deep dive together into one core practice rooted deeply in the biblical tradition. And it all begins with that reading from Genesis today which is a familiar one, I know. But let's spend just a moment with this picture. After creating a world, God doesn't just gulp down more air and move on to the next task. No, God exhales, God rests. We've heard it so many times, we might not see anymore how strange this image really is. I mean, we're talking about the God who imagined the creation, who separated light from darkness, who spread the stars in the sky, who dreamed up date palms and cedar trees, antelopes and armadillos and alligators, who fashioned humans in the divine image. A God who can do all that can do anything. That God could certainly keep on creating and tending and working dawn to dusk seven days a week, no problem. That God could have made an eighth day to get more work done. But God decided not to. The Bible doesn't say exactly what God did with that day of rest. But I think we've got a pretty good clue. At the end of the sixth day, as you heard in our reading this morning, the day when God creates human beings, the text says God saw everything God had made, and indeed, it was very good. It sounds like God sort of took a step back and paused to take in the whole wide picture. The broad blue sky, the snowy mountain peaks, the expanse of the oceans, the infinite variety of creatures. God gave it all a good long look and said, not bad, not bad at all. It sounds like God did more of that on the seventh day more rejoicing in everything God had made. Pastor Kara Root says that God's rest on the seventh day helps us understand God's purposes in creation more broadly. God creates to enjoy and relate and connect, she says. On the seventh day, we see God appreciating the creation for what it is, savoring it, glorying in it. It's like a parent watching a child do something she loves, riding her bike, or climbing a tree or reading a book, and simply marveling at this little person, growing and being who she is. On the seventh day, we see God like that, simply marveling at the world and its creatures, appreciating what each one brings to the great harmony of the whole. Did you know there are three blessings in the creation story? 
Three points at which God pauses to bless something God has just made. This is actually something I only noticed for the first time this week after how many times I've read Genesis 1. God blesses the creatures of the earth and sea and sky. God blesses the humans. And God blesses the seventh day. God blesses the rest. It's kind of amazing, don't you think? I don't know exactly what to make of that except to imagine that it might be God's way of underlining the importance of stopping, of stepping back from the drive to work, the drive even for good and meaningful and important work, and setting aside time to appreciate the goodness of life. God knew what we would be like, after all, that we would get wrapped up in our pursuits and in our push to, draw and to succeed and to impress that we would imagine there was no way life could continue without our constant effort, our endless work. So God showed us how it's done. God took time to pause, and God built the creation this way, with rhythms of work and rest, inhaling and exhaling. God blessed the day of rest and even hallowed it, made it holy, set it apart, told us in no uncertain terms, this is really important. This is part of life. This is a gift for you. We have this gift, friends, a life-giving rhythm that we are made for. And yet somehow, for many of us at least, it seems daunting or complicated or impractical or even a little scary. How would I really build time into my life where my only job was to appreciate the gifts of God around me? Would I get behind? Would I miss something important? Would I get bored? I don't know what worries or objections might pop up for you in thinking about Sabbath, but I want to encourage you to try over the weeks to come. To try setting aside time where your to-do list does not exist, where your worries about the coming week do not exist, where you can appreciate the goodness of everything God has made and be simply present to God and to others. It might feel like setting out into the wilderness, but Lent is a good time to do that. So many of us feel the pressure to be on all the time, to be productive and efficient day in and day out. But friends, we need time to exhale. Rest is part of our faith. It is blessed, it is holy, and it is a gift for each and every one of us this day. Thanks be to God. Amen.